Well, y'all, it's summer, and every summer has a soundtrack. You know, for some folks, uh, it's on an Apple or Spotify playlist. Well, this summer at Calvary, y'all, we're going retro with a mix tape. Now, you old school folks, you know the concept, right? You put a selection of your current favorites onto a cassette tape. Anybody remember a cassette tape? Come on. And then you write a personal note on it, and then you give it to someone to enjoy. Well, this summer, our weekend talks are based on what I've called hits and deep cuts from one of the most well-known passages of the Bible, Psalm 23. And did you know a psalm is a sacred song? So Psalm 23 is one of David's greatest hits. And this week we'll be looking at just one little phrase of the beginning of verse 3. I believe it's a word for you. But we'll begin by reading all six verses of Psalm 23 before we narrow our focus down for today. So here we go. I want to invite you to follow along with me as I read. Psalm 23 beginning at verse number 1. And as I read, I'm going to ask somebody on team to help me and bring this board just a little bit closer to me so I can work today. All right, y'all ready? Say yes. All right. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, church, that's as far as we've gotten in this series. Let's pick up verse 3. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you lift up your hands? Father, I declare restoration. Many of us are living like strangers in the land of promise. And I thank you that this land isn't a piece of real estate. It's a person. It's Christ. We're living way below our legal rights. We have forfeited our inheritance and continued to wander in a wilderness of unbelief. Because we haven't taken now for an answer. Awaken us, I pray, to our citizenship in the kingdom of God and help us to become dispensers of that kingdom right now now with a hand on your heart say it out loud with all you've got come on say eyes to see ears to hear a heart to receive a mouth to confess all of the good things christ has already provided for me now tell two people say he's provided restoration for me come on tell them he's provided restoration for me. You believe it, say yes. 
No matter how many times I read Psalm 23, I love it. Its message never gets old, and as I said today, I want to look at just the first four words of verse 3, where it says, He restores my soul. As a matter of fact, say it out loud with me. Say, He restores my soul. Come on. He restores my soul. Take one of your hands and set it right here. Say it again. He restores my soul. These four little words carry in them what's perhaps the most practical effect of the gospel. Soul restoration. And as you consider the word soul, I want you to realize that there's no real consensus among Christian scholars as to precisely what a human being consists of. I would say this, that everyone agrees, of course, that, that humans have a physical component. Go ahead and just look around the room. We've got a physical component. We have these bodies. I would call them outer shells or outer tents in which we live and breathe and exist biologically. Well, when God first created man, the Bible says that he formed Adam from the dust of the ground, giving him this outer shell, this outer tent. But there is uh, some degree, I would say, of disagreement as to how the immaterial part of us is put together. And over the centuries, some Christian scholars have argued that we are essentially three parts. And I've taught on this before. We are spirit. We have a soul. We have a body. So... This uh, technical name, right, uh, I would say for this position, spirit, soul, body, um, is the trichotomist position. And here's what that means. It means made of three. And this is probably where I would lean. Now, others contend that humans are essentially made of two parts. So they would say simply material and immaterial. And this position contends that while our bodies comprise our material selves, they would say that our spirit and our soul, our spirit and our soul are used interchangeably in the scripture to describe that which is immaterial about us. And this position is known as the dichotomous position. And here's what that means. We are made of two components, right? They would say material and immaterial. And here's the good news today, y'all. We are not going to get to the bottom of that centuries-old debate today. So for our purposes, we are going to focus 
on what everyone agrees with, and that is simply this, that our soul refers to what? Our inner person. If we can all agree with that, somebody please say yes. So the soul has been described as what? As the seat of our emotions. Or even more simply, I would say this, our inner self. Our inner self. And that, I believe, is really what David seems to be getting at. That's the idea in the mind of David as he writes this psalm, this song, Psalm 23. The Hebrew word now for restore or restores... Um, to bring back. To bring back. The Hebrew word restores is this word that carries the idea of bringing back. And it would be very similar to the idea behind, watch this, the prodigal son, right? Uh, experienced in Luke 15 when it says in verse 17 that the boy came back to his senses. He came back to his senses. And in recovery, this phenomenon of the restoration of the soul is often described as, watch this, the restoring of our sanity. In other words... Bringing us back to our right minds. So essentially, this, this verse is an admission that while he leads me beside waters of rest. How many of you are thankful for a good shepherd like that? Somebody say yes. Okay, now I'm going to get in your business. He leads us beside waters of rest. Okay. But let's be honest. Sometimes I simply don't follow his lead. I don't follow his lead as I could or I should. Watch. Instead of trusting, yeah, I try. Instead of resting, I wrestle, okay? Instead of believing that it's done, watch, I keep doing. Instead of supply, it's always demand. Are y'all getting this? Instead of grace, it's law. And like the children of Israel in Hebrews 3, I don't enter God's rest because of my unbelief. And when I wander from that path, Oh, I pierce myself. What does that mean? I break myself. I hurt myself with many sorrows and griefs and problems and pains and fears and frustrations, not the least of which results, watch, in a soul, don't you miss this, that needs some bringing back. 
a soul that needs restoration. The Greek equivalent of the word for soul is the word suke, from which we get the English word psyche. And in our modern context, we also understand that the psyche is what? It is the inner sanctum of our mind, our will, and our emotions. The inner sanctum, the soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. And whenever our souls need restoring, whether it's because of some bad decisions that we've made or, or because of something that happened, watch, through no fault of our own. I came today to tell you about Jesus, a good shepherd, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, right? Claims what? He claims that he is the answer and that he will lead you down a path of healing and a path of wholeness and a path of rest. And I don't want to bother anybody and I hadn't preached in about a month. So let me hear somebody give Jesus a good hand clap of praise right now. If you're thankful for a good shepherd. If you are, somebody say, I am. I want to tell you that as a pastor, I encounter a lot of people who are dealing with major soul damaging issues in other words the things from which our souls most commonly need restoration and by the way I am one I am one that needs ongoing soul restoration and I want you to consider, as I've thought about this, three broad categories which rise to the top of the list. And here's what I'm going to call them today. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to get done today. I'll have to come back midweek, and I'll have to come back next week, and I'll have to come back every week. Here we go. I call them soul-damaging elements. And I'm going to get into this this week and next week if there is time. But these soul-damaging elements, and I want you to write them down. The first one, jot this down, is this. Guilt. Guilt. Uh, in Psalm 38, David writes about the weight that guilt can bring to our lives. Damages our souls. Uh, Psalm 38, 4 and 6, listen to this. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Oh, this is another song right here. I am bowed down and brought very low all day long. I go about mourning. Stop right there. When you read those words, you can just sense that David is about to collapse under the weight of this guilt that he is experiencing. And guilt is described often, did you know in your Bible, in such terms, as being a weight upon your back that is almost crippling in its effect. And then there's a second problem. Now, I'm not going to get to this today, but I'm just going to give it to you to write down. But there is a second problem, a second soul-damaging reality of life. And I want you to write this down. And I'm going to deal with this next week. But it's grief. Grief. Yeah. I can take you to another song, Psalm 31, 
Or you talk about a song. He says this, be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My soul and body with grief. Look at this. My soul and body with grief. This happens to be another song of David. And here he identifies what? Church, don't you miss this. Grief as a reality which causes his soul and his body to grow weary. Now, now this is where some of you might, might say something like this. Well, well, Pastor Ben, hold on. Because isn't grief a good thing? Yes. The grieving process is a very good thing. The ability to grieve a loss is a gift from God and is actually an agent, I believe, in our healing process. But there's also the very real possibility of allowing grief and sorrow and sadness. Watch, don't you miss this, to become a serious problem rather than a process. And I'm going to talk more about this next week because many of you watch your grief has become a problem rather than a process. There's a third element. I'm going to wait for next week. There's a third element, a third soul damaging reality of life that I'm not going to deal with today, but I want you to write it down. And it's this. Now I'm going to mess with you. Come on. Grudges. Ephesians 4 says this, get rid of all bitterness, forgiving each other, don't miss this, just as God in Christ has already forgiven you. Okay. Um, I don't have time to go there, but you could jot it down. Romans 12 also indicates um, and instructs us um, not to repay evil for evil, but instead what? To leave room for God. This is a word for somebody today. I don't know, but... You need to leave room for God to handle the discipline of another person. Yeah. And when you think about the overall scope of, of the teaching of Scripture, I think you'd agree that these broad categories of guilt and, and, and grief and grudges are in many ways, I would say, as I've dealt with people, the overarching forces of soul damage that I really believe the enemy, Satan, wants to inflict upon you but David says that we aren't left without hope as a matter of fact I just declare that today over you you are not left without hope when you face any of these realities of of what ah, of living in a fallen world he says thank you David that Jesus the good shepherd restores our souls that he's literally able and I declare this over you to heal or to bring you back to the point of wholeness and strength and peace and rest he is able to restore your sanity he is able to bring you back to your right mind as a matter of fact lift up your hands because I declare in the name of Jesus, emotional healing over you. And if you believe it and receive it, clap your hands and give God praise, right? 
say it out loud. I believe it and I receive it in Jesus' name. So not only is this idea of restoration, I'm just trying to teach, spoken of in terms of something God offers us on a personal level. That's where I'm going today. But this is actually a major theme of Scripture as it relates to the gospel. Because when you walk from Genesis to Revelation, the most obvious storyline relates to a creation that has been damaged through sin and made God an enemy in their own mind. Now awaiting to be restored to health and wholeness. And when God created, think about that. When he created the cosmos, there was nothing unhealthy about it. As a matter of fact, everything he made, the Bible says, was good. And the environment was a perfect balance. Our ecosystems were untainted. Our interpersonal relationships were intact. Our world wasn't at war. We were created to live in paradise. And the fact of the matter is the Bible says that God placed us in one called Eden or a garden of pleasure. But in order for love to be loved by its own definition, there had to be a real choice involved. And that's a Exactly what God did is he gave man a choice. And Adam and Eve were given a choice to either what? Rest or rebel. You could rest in the provision of your creator. Or you can rebel against those provisions under the assumption that you can manage life independently from your creator. Well, when they chose option two, the Bible says that the entire creation fell under a curse called sin and sin brought all manner of dysfunction and damage and death into the equation to the point that the apostle Paul said in Romans that now the creation is actually groaning inwardly as it waits with expectation for God to restore it to its original state of purpose and perfection longing for the revealing of sons of God. And, 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 and as the story unfolds in the Bible, we learn that this restoration process, now here's the word, it has begun. Through what? Hello, mission. Through the declaration and demonstration of the gospel. But the, the ultimate, right? Ultimately, there will be a final restoration of all things. And so this is where I hope you understand that we reach the epic, or what is that? This, this period of the story, right? Which is a state, this is where we are, of in-betweenness. And this is why we are called as believers to live out the values and the principles and the purposes and the agenda of the kingdom of God beginning in the here and now. Church, when are you going to get it? We literally have the opportunity to bring a taste of heaven's goodness into the mess that we have made as our lives are restored through faith in Jesus. notice that every earthquake and every storm 
and every natural disaster, it's perceived as an act of God. But I beg to differ. Because if you want to see an act of God, look at Jesus in the middle of a storm. Stand up and speak peace. When there's a natural disaster, you'll hear people say, it's an act of God. No, I really believe the act of God is when the church shows up after the disaster to bring help and healing and wholeness. Yeah. See, see, my whole life, I, I don't know who I'm talking to, but my whole life, religion raised me to believe that God's primary purpose was to get me from here to there, from earth to heaven. And I do believe that there is a there. However, the gospel of the kingdom teaches me that what God wants to do is get what's happening there, oh God, to operate here. After all, Jesus did teach us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be in earth as it already is done in heaven thy kingdom come thy will be done here as it already are y'all getting this lift up your hands say it out loud say we are kingdom people and we've got a kingdom agenda now, if you believe it, say yes. How many of you are glad that the cross changed everything? Watch. In the Old Testament, the kingdom is coming. In the Gospels, The kingdom is near or at hand. Where do you live? After the cross, the kingdom is now. Is that all you got today? The king, the king of the kingdom is now on the scene. Where? Thank you, Bill. Where? Put your hand on your belly. Where, church? Working in and through you, his church, his kingdom this is not a pun, but his kingdom trumps all other kingdoms. <laughs> and now what does the Bible say? His kingdom, church, is to be released like what? Jesus said, like leaven. Through the power of the Spirit, it's to infiltrate what? The political, the religious, the economic, the entertainment, the social, the educational, every other system of man until the whole thing is leavened. 
And I'm afraid, and I'm not here to teach you on this today, but I am afraid that the church has been isolated and marginalized because of bad theology that's taught us what? We're waiting. When it's now. Are y'all getting this? So, so our lives have been what? Broken by sin. I don't have to tell you our politics have been broken by sin. Our environment has been broken by sin. Our relationships have been broken by sin. And that brings us back to the obvious reality. That our souls need to be restored and thank God today that my my spirit has been restored my soul is being restored and my body will be y'all I'm talking about restoration why do you think I want you to live from your spirit? Okay. Are y'all getting this today? I'm trying to help somebody. And if you're thankful for Jesus, the good shepherd, just give him a good hand clap right now. Come on. So how does God then set us on this path of restoration? How does he do it? Of emotional healing. How does he set us on this path to restore our souls? Well, if, 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 if those things we mentioned earlier, right, guilt and grief and grudges are, are, are literally like weights. And I just, I just speak this just like for some of you, it's like weights around your neck. How do you find freedom and wholeness and healing and rest? Isn't it interesting that the word restoration begins with the word rest as you rest in Jesus's grace and his finished work you will receive restoration and the Bible that is so powerful sometimes I wish I could just sit on the front row and take notes on myself I'm blessing myself are y'all getting this the Bible I'm telling you in its ancient and yet ever so relevant power and wisdom provides the answer. And I'm so glad today it's not difficult. There's only one answer and his name is Jesus, the good shepherd. And I declare over you that in him you lack nothing. And, and, and I thought I was going to begin with the first one, the problem of guilt. But I don't think I have time, y'all. Is anybody getting anything today? Oh, God, I, I just wish I could. There's three, but I'm just write this down. Oh, God, I'm going to have to come back next week, but just write this down. Jesus removes your guilt. Can, can I just get my friends out here real quick? Can I just get my friends out here real quick? I, I, just, I just want them to come out here real quick and stand right here because there's... 
there's some things that, that I want my friends just to grab hold of today. Just, just come stand right here. Just come stand right here. The reason, the reason why many of you are struggling, I'm going to tell you why, and I don't have time to teach on this and break it down, but the reason why many of you are struggling and you've not received soul restoration is because you don't have a revelation of total forgiveness. And I'm telling you, the Bible's pretty clear. James 3 says, indeed, we all, in, in many ways, we all make mistakes. And I know this may be hard for you to believe, but even Ben Daly has made a few mistakes. Guilt is what? It's a, it's, a, it's a signal that our lives have been disrupted by sin. It's a, it's a sign that a hurt needs to be healed, that a mistake has to be made right. There needs to be correction, but there's a problem, and that's what I want to deal with next week. I, I know I want to get to grief, but I think this can go a little longer than I thought. Ever since sin was given free reign in the Garden of Eden, guilt has gotten out of control. And, and I'm going to talk about this uh, midweek right here. I'm going to talk about it. But what we do to try to deal with our guilt, because some of you, I'm telling you, you are struggling. Because what you're trying to do with your guilt, you don't understand what the good shepherd has already provided. So you spend your life, watch this, trying to bury it does not work. Trying to blame others does not work. Accusing and excusing does not work. Beating ourselves up. This is a big one. Do you know what I've realized? A guilty conscience is making many of you sick causing you to be depressed you set yourself up for failure you're working hard consciously but unconsciously you're thinking I don't deserve to succeed let me tell you something Jesus took upon himself what you deserve and gave you as a free gift what he deserved the father's blessing of 100% obedience yeah. and guilt has an amazing way of causing us to take payment at out on ourselves and you know what I'm realizing that the enemy doesn't have to beat you up with condemnation you know why because many of you are doing a good job beating yourself up and you don't understand there's a revelation that I've got to give you out of the new covenant about forgiveness about total forgiveness and I want to teach that to you next week I tell you I was gonna get into an understanding today of justification as a matter of fact lift up your hands that you are not guilty and you are entirely pleasing to God and when you fully understand watch this that you have been justified you are not guilty you are entirely pleasing to God but pastor I still feel guilty well that feeling is a symptom of unbelief in the goodness of God and don't let that feeling run around like a rat in the attic you got to deal with it and you got to take that feeling and you got to make it bow to the obedience of Christ look at me Colossians 2 says this that he has past tense forgiven you what did I tell you that the cross changed everything all verbs became nouns no longer was forgiveness something that God does it's something he's already 
done. Don't you miss this? He has forgiven you all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and condemnation and commandments which hung over your head and has completely annulled it. How? By taking what was hung over your head and nailing it over his own head on the cross. Under, under, under law, there was a long list of charges against you, and that's what some of you are living under every day, all of these charges against you. As a matter of fact, it's like a list hanging over your head. Well, I'm just a lazy Christian. Well, I, I'm just a lousy parent. Well, I'm just a horrible spouse. Well, I'm just a poor excuse for a human being. You want to know what Jesus thinks of those charges against you? He nailed those charges to the cross. Don't you agree with those charges? I want you to start agreeing with Jesus and stop believing what the enemy says about you and start believing what God says about you. Lift your hands. He says, my son was punished that you might be forgiven. He says, my son was wounded that you might be healed. He says, my son was made sin with your sinfulness that you might be made the righteousness of God. He says, my son tasted death for you that you might share his life he said my son was made a curse that you might receive a blessing he said my son endured your poverty that you might share in his abundance he said my son bore your shame that you might share in glory he said my son endured your rejection that you might have his acceptance he said my son was cut off that you might be joined with the Lord in mystical union and if you believe it clap your hands and give Jesus Jesus. Is that all you got today? And I don't know what you've done. It really doesn't matter. But I do know what he's done. And good news, what he's done is greater than what you've done. Let me try it on this side because I don't know if they want it. What Jesus has done is greater than what you've done. Jesus removes your guilt. What a good shepherd. And Romans 5.20 says this, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And because of God's grace, I'm going to tell, tell you the problem. If I had time to teach on this, I would, but I don't. But you have been forgiven. Watch this. Here's the problem. Some of you struggle because you don't have a revelation. Watch. That forgiveness is not earned. This is how you live. There was a woman that showed up in one of our locations a few weeks ago and talked to one of our pastors with tears in her eyes. She said, I'm just looking for a place that someone will tell me how to get forgiven. She just haven't heard the good news. Nobody's told her. And you think it's earned 
But Ephesians 1, 7 says, for by the sacrificial death of Christ, we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. Free. Simply because of God's grace. If you're thankful for grace, clap your hands and give God praise. As a matter of fact, no, I said clap your hands and give God praise. Because it's not something you earn. Watch. You get forgiveness. Watch it. Matter of fact, we're destroying these mindsets today. It's not earned. You receive forgiveness. Watch. Freely. Freely. Lift up your hands and say, I am forgiven freely. Lift up your hands and say, I am forgiven freely. Now clap your hands and give God praise. See? This is another big one. I'm telling you. When Jesus died for your sins, here's your struggle. Well, which one did he die for? Some of you, you struggle because you really, maybe you didn't say it this way, but you believe in what's called partial forgiveness. Well, he's... I get it. Maybe my sins yesterday and, and maybe today. But I got good news for you. He's already died for the ones you're going to commit. Jesus was nailed to the cross. I don't know who this is for today. So that you can quit nailing yourself to the cross. And he was hung up for your hang-ups. And have you ever committed the same sin more than once? And I don't know who I'm talking to today, but do you feel embarrassed about coming back? There are people everywhere in our cities that won't come back to the church, that run from God because they're afraid, because they've had to keep coming back and keep coming back over and over again, and they just gave up. But nobody told them that God does not get bored forgiving you. As a matter of fact, it's his nature to be forgiven forgiving and Hebrews 7 25 says Christ always lives to make intercession for us and some of you that think it's partial no you have been forgiven fully and if you believe it clap your hands and give God praise come on as a matter of fact lift up your hands say it out loud say I have been forgiven fully now, if you believe it, give God praise right now. Y'all don't look happy. What about incomplete? Yeah. You know what Jeremiah 31, 34 says? I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. I will never reattach it to them. You better thank God for the new covenant because it's not about sins being covered. It's about sins being removed. And by the way, I'm not teaching on this today, but there's a difference with sin and sinning. Some of you think it's incomplete. God's forgiveness was incomplete for me. 
Now, what that simply means, what Jeremiah says, is that God, and this is a word for you today, does not hold grudges. He never throws our sin back in our face, but he wipes a slate clean. As a matter of fact, I just declare over you, your forgiveness was not incomplete, but you have been forgiven, and you better give God praise. Break this mindset today. You have been forgiven finally. And if you believe it, clap your hands and give God praise. As a matter of fact, lift up your hands, say it out loud. Say, I have been forgiven finally. Now shout right now if you believe it. Lift up your hands. You don't have to beg God to forgive you. You don't have to bargain with God to forgive you. You don't have to bribe Him. You simply believe. Romans 3 says, yes, all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious ideal. But then it goes on to say, yet now God declares us not guilty of offending Him if we trust Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who in His kindness freely fully and finally takes our sins away. I don't know what decision you've made. I don't know what life-dominating sin that you're struggling with. Nothing can undo what he's accomplished. God's completely and permanently dealt with your guilt.